Kevin Johnson. I'm attorney Barry Boykin. I'm attorney Michael Wood. Welcome to part two of episode 32 of Dynamite Divorce and Other Matters. We're continuing our discussion with our special guest, consumer attorney Mike Wood from Chicago. And uh, Mike, we're very glad to have you here. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here, Kevin. And we'll continue our discussion and all the things that people find themselves in, the quagmire of consumer debt, you might say. It's a little bit cynical when you think about it. That industry lending money when they know they're going to cause untold misery as people crash financially, right? Yes. Although I will say for the credit industry, at least they're providing a product and a service. I can't say the same about the debt buying industry. Wait, you don't have anything good to say about these debt buyers. Are they often in your sights as far as counterattacks? Are you often helping people defend against debt buyers? Is that the usual antagonist? For the most part, uh, it's become pretty standard for credit card companies to sell the debts. Not only can they recover even even 3 or 4% is, is money they did not have before. Uh, so not only can they recover that money by selling the debt, but it also allows them to get out of the business of collection. And for marketing reasons, that's important. If a consumer goes through hell in court with Citibank for years, then when they get back on their feet, they may be less likely to get a Citibank card. They may say to themselves, <laughs> Citibank, they're the worst. I don't want to deal with them ever again. Uh, but when the, when the debt has been sold to some debt buyer named Portfolio Asset Recovery, to a fictional debt buyer. I see. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> they all sound the same. They all use financial industry terms appended together in a different order. I like the way to say a, a adjustment company or something like that. Yeah, like, adjustment, asset adjust, your legs <laughs> adjustment company. Uh, like, whatever company it is, they can put you through the ringer. And when you come out on the other side, you may not have a bad taste in your mouth about Citibank because Citibank wasn't the one doing it to you. And so no. I think the credit industry has unloaded a lot of these debts so that the new owners can just be more aggressive without dragging their name through the mud. Before we go further, this podcast is no substitute for the specific legal advice you will get by consulting one-on-one -on -one with a licensed attorney in your state or country. We hope that before taking any action that might change your life or your financial situation, and before making decisions that might significantly affect your children and the people around you, you do find and meet with a licensed attorney. Now, now on, with, on the with the show. Well, if I understand you correctly, a, a credit card company like Citibank doesn't lose anything on the default anyway, since they charged enough interest to cover the expected <laughs> loss. And then they sell the debt for three or 4%. That's additional money. Their way of getting a hold of money only cost them a couple percent, right? They're borrowing at very low interest. Yeah, they're borrowing at the federal funds rate, which is very and then low. So they, if they borrow at two or 3% and then they, they relend it at 18%, and the person pays for a period of time, they get back their money, and then the person defaults, they then sell the debt for three or 4%, and kind of like they didn't lose any money, right? Right. Wow. <laughs> wow. This whole now, industry now, has very little to do with the recovery of the money a consumer borrowed. It's really more about trying to add value to portfolios of loans. Well, explain, what do you mean? I, you lost me there, what do you mean? So when a client comes in, they say to me, Mike, I, you know, I'm a good person. I'm getting back on my feet. I'm going to get a job. I want to pay all these debts back. And I explained to them what we've talked about, that these debts are gone, that they've been charged off, that any money that's given to these new owners is not going to go back to the credit card company. 
And what I'm trying to explain to people is that there is a cycle of credit that we're all part of and that what we need to do is resolve our current circumstances and move on so that we can get back on our feet, take out new credit products and use them uh, hopefully more successfully and with less problems in the future. That is a better approach for people than worrying about old debt. I was going to say, Kevin, that tying it into what you and I do, then I think of scenarios where you've got uh, really the problem is tripled. In other words, so, uh, and, and Mike, you may have seen a few of these. And I have to say this is not the majority, but so there's a, a, a family where they're suffering a breakup. The husband and wife are estranged. Uh, there are um, enormous amounts of debt. And uh, then they're advised, well, uh, you should really think about uh, bankruptcy. And should the bankruptcy be individual or joint? Um, who has most of the debt? So I'm thinking of a particular case, of course, that anonymously, years and years ago, so where the, um, the husband and wife uh, both worked hard, both had a lot of money coming in, money was just rolling in for this couple and their family. And they would take vacations uh, at, at uh, prominent gambling sites, the Riverboat, uh, <laughs> Las Vegas. Uh, but, but then things started to kind of snowball, that uh, yeah, a loss of job, a loss of health. So these things happened. But when the smoke cleared, and, and, and they were in bankruptcy court, there was an adversary complaint. Uh, I'll speak about that in a minute. But where they, they had more than 22 credit cards. Some of the credit cards, not a dime had been paid on the credit <laughs> card. And, and so the, the, uh, here's where I get to the point of my story. The, the bankruptcy judge kind of looked at it. The creditors were there in court trying to sue to get some kind of money out of it. And the judge says, you know, this family, they had a good time on your money, didn't they? And uh, but it turns out we finally settled. We settled a case for pennies on the dollar because their their theory was is that, you know, my clients in that case never intended to pay back the the money they borrowed on the credit cards. And so we had that battle. Uh, but it was it was multiplied. So multiplied, you know, where family problems, health problems, uh, debt problems, everything was kind of snowballing in. Now, Mike, in a sense, you're on one side of the wall and the creditors and their debt collection companies and the debt buyers are on the other side. You're in a sense, you're able to throw things over the wall, you know, kind of like an attack and, and over the wall come stones and sticks and, and other things thrown at your clients. What tactics do you see them throwing at your clients? You've mentioned garnishing bank accounts. We haven't heard about incessant calls or intimidating letters. Um, can you at least tell our listeners, maybe they've experienced a lot of this stuff, but if they haven't, what happens as a debt buyer goes after a consumer? What can the consumer feel in their world? Often it'll start with phone calls, phone calls from unrecognized numbers. The creditors and the debt buyers, whoever owns the debt, will often hire a company who specializes in collecting debts. And they'll have call centers and they'll start placing calls to your phone. And they're very sophisticated in, in how the numbers come up when they're calling you. They almost never say portfolio recovery asset solutions. It always <laughs> says something like something innocuous or unknown number. And some of them will, will even, they'll know your own three-digit exchange. And I don't mean your area code. 
Like my number is 312952, are my first three numbers. So a debt collector, if they know that, they, they might have the number appear to come from a 952 number, hoping that I'll think it's just a neighbor or someone on my family plan or someone close by. Uh, but that's how it usually starts, is you just start getting a lot of phone calls from a lot of strange numbers. Most people are uh, not answering those. They're ignoring them. Some phones now even have settings that you can automatically send those to voicemail. Now, Mike, are you talking about robocalls or live call center calls from people on, on the phone? It's usually a mixture. It'll start off as a robocall. And then if you answer, uh, you'll be transferred to a live agent. <laughs> okay. So another tactic that's used frequently are collection letters. And a debt collector will start sending you a letter usually once a month that will start to, it'll, it'll open maybe with a hopeful tone. You know, we're the new owners of your debt and we want to help you get your financial life back on track. Uh, but you'll start to see the tone of the letters change as they come and they'll start to get more aggressive and they may get to the point where they're starting to threaten you with things like, we're going to file a lawsuit if you don't respond to us. Some of them even threaten to keep sending letters and making phone calls, uh, which gives you an idea of how pleasant these letters and phone calls are that a debt collector is willing to use the threat of just continuing to send letters and make phone calls as a way to get you to pay. Uh, so letters are another frequent tactic. A more insidious tactic uh, that I've seen is they'll start contacting family members. Now, this is a highly regulated industry, and a debt collector is not allowed to call a family member and tell them that you have a debt. But they are allowed to contact family members to find you, as long as they don't disclose that they're collecting a debt. And some of the collectors will actually use that right to contact family members just as a way to actually collect the debt. Because if they call a parent, and they just say, uh, this is uh, Michael Wood calling from Asset Recovery with an important business matter. And I'm looking for Kevin Johnson. Can you please let him know we're looking for him? <laughs> I haven't told you that Kevin Johnson owns a debt, owes a debt. But if, 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 if your parent or your sibling gets a message like that, what are they going to do? More times than not, they're going to contact you and they're going to say, hey, Kevin, someone's looking for you. And I have a lot of clients who complain that their family members receive calls or their neighbors can receive calls. Uh, the collection industry has a term for this called a block party, where <laughs> they start calling people who are around you, hoping that one of them will walk over to down, walk down the hall to your apartment or walk across the street to your house and say, hey, Kevin, some company has been looking for you. And these are all forms of harassment. Um, uh, now, Mike, I, I have, have a, I have a funny story regarding actually a uh, a debtor's response to 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 that. I uh, I had a client once again. It's been some years, but I had a client once who had a unique voicemail message. So when you called his phone, it would say, "Hi, this is so and so. If you're one of my friend or family, he says, leave a message. I'll call you back." He says, "If you're a debt collector, forget it. I ain't calling you back." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I thought you were going to say it said hello and wait and let That's what I thought you <laughs> Now, Mike, you've just mentioned that debt buyers or collectors will come after people with phone calls, maybe a steadily increasing ferocity of letters that they may even contact nearby neighbors or, or they may call family members. It, does that pretty much describe the full gamut of those tactics that creditors use? Or are there any more? 
the two other main ones, and we've touched on them already, are lawsuits and credit reporting. Uh, I'll start with credit reporting, which is a lot easier for a debt collector to do. Once you owe someone a debt, that company has the right to look at your credit report and they have the right to report something onto your credit report. And so a lot of debt collectors will report a debt that's owed onto your credit report. And for some of them, that's all they do. They won't even invest the time in a call center and call you. They won't invest money in a mail vendor and send you letters. They'll just park it on your credit report and they'll wait for when you go to buy a car, for when you go to close on a home and you're at the closing table and the, and the uh, title company says, hey, what's this uh, asset recovery thing on your credit report? We can't close today. It, it, this says you owe $486. And then what happens is the person will pay it right there on the spot in order to complete the transaction. And there are a lot of debt collectors who will use credit reporting in that way. Although more commonly it's used as part of a portfolio of collection techniques like the ones we've described. And the last one being uh, the collection lawsuit. And that's where I generally meet people because they're getting sued by a debt collector. And that's when they, that's usually the first time they think to themselves, I need a lawyer. Now, and that's a good segue into the other aspect I was going to address is sure, they have their tactics, but without revealing too much of your professional secrets, can you tell us and our listeners some of the tactics that you employ? in your counterattack against these debt buyers and collectors? Sure, Kevin, and I, uh, I have no secrets. <laughs> uh, in fact, even my debt buyer opponents and their counsel know what it is that we're gonna say because we generally say the same thing every time, which is that prove that you own the debt. When we go into court on these cases, usually you have a company you've never heard of who's suing you for an old debt. And the tactic we use most often is we just challenge the alleged owner of the debt to just prove to the court that they actually own the debt. And that is something that uh, most debt buyers don't want to spend the time on. Uh, if, they're, if they're buying hundreds of thousands of debts a month for three cents on the dollar, uh, their hope is to come in and get that default judgment, which is a mostly automated process. Barry referenced before, he has seen collection lawyers walk into court with a stack of 30 cases, and it's pretty automated. They just bring the stack up to the judge, Nobody's there. None of those consumers are there. And they just stamp all 30 of them. Now, now they have their defaults. All of that is fed into a system that looks at the credit report for a job and looks to garnish. It's all a very efficient process and a very efficient system. But when we start asking <clears throat> the uh, debt buyers to prove that they actually own the debt, it just is something that they don't... Well, I, I won't say they're not able to do it. I'll just say that our experience has been that they're not willing to do it. And that often it's easier for them to dismiss the case and try to collect in other ways. Now, that doesn't make the debt go away, but it makes the lawsuit go away. Is that right? That's right. So it's not a win. And I explain this to clients every day, including this morning. It's not a win or a loss. Uh, it just makes the lawsuit go away. But uh, the, the debt collector can still say that you owe the debt. And so they can still send letters. They can still make phone calls. And they can still uh, report the item on your credit report. Now, Mike, you mentioned one of the tactics you're using is to defend against a lawsuit by requiring the debt buyer or collector to put up or shut up, really, to show that they own the debt that they're trying to collect. And you said that's effective in making the lawsuit go away, but the underlying debt and maybe the blot on their credit report remains, right? So, mm -hmm. hence, it's a a victory of some kind, but it doesn't win the entire war, doesn't make the debt go away. Are there other 
tactics that you employ that you counterattack against these uh, the debt buying industry and against creditors that you can share with us? Yeah. So then we also have at our uh, disposal counterclaims or things that we can uh, lob back at the debt, the debt collector. Uh, the debt collection industry is required to comply with various state and federal laws. Um, some examples are the Fair Debt Collection Act, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. I could go on, Illinois Consumer Fraud. There's a whole bunch. And this is why you need a lawyer, uh, because there are a bunch of rules that debt collectors have to follow. And uh, often there is business pressure on a debt collector not to follow those rules because they can make more money not following rules than they can by following the rules. Can you give a rule that you say for business reasons often ignored? Kind of, we don't do it that way. We're going to ignore that rule. Uh, yeah. So why don't we say uh, contacting a family member? The uh, a debt collector is only allowed to contact family members or other people if they don't actually have your contact information. But it's it's more complicated for a debt collector to figure out whether or not they have your contact information than it is for them to just assume that for their whole portfolio of debts, that they don't have anyone's contact information. And so they're immediately uh, engaging in trying to find people that for some of them, they have already found. And that is a, a, uh, a violation of certain consumer protection statutes because you're not allowed to start looking for someone through family members if you already know who they are and how to contact them. Uh, but it's just a more complicated system to maintain where you have to keep track of who you, uh, who you know how to find and who you don't. Another one is uh, form letters. Uh, debt collectors want to send the same letter out to everybody because they use a mail vendor and they want to just, you know, uh, uh, they just want to have a letter that has the amount due over here and has some language that's maybe vaguely threatening over here and then payment, how to make your payment information on the bottom. And so they'll send the same letter to everybody, but everybody has different circumstances. Some people may have made payments on their debt, so they owe a little bit less. Some people may have been contacted before by the debt collector, and some haven't. If you haven't ever been contacted before, then the debt collector is required to put uh, some disclosures on the letter um, about your rights. Uh, there's tax information. There's all kinds of information that can be uh, individually tailored for, for uh, different people who are, are, are uh, for different debtors. But in an effort for... Uh, uh, efficiency, the debt collector is just sending the same form letter out to everyone. Well, and in, a, in, in, in a final minute we have here, um, would it be safe to say that the average debtor confronted by an onslaught of collection tactics, and you've, you've talked about some of the tactics used and, and even including uh, almost like robo letters sent just everybody willy-nilly, not even customized for the amount that they owe. If somebody's under that kind of attack, would they be well served by consulting with an attorney such as mm. you? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. If, if someone is being contacted by a lot of debt collectors, then a consumer law attorney can usually make most of it go away. Well, there you go. Well, now we'll have your contact information in the notes page and it'll have your, your link to your website and your phone number. So those listeners who, although we do deal with family law, a lot of other stuff can be happening in the in your life. And if one of those things is burdensome debt or aggressive tactics used against you by collectors, even for debts you don't know, we will put Mike Wood and his information in the notes page. Um, and Mike, I, I guess you wouldn't mind a few calls from these distressed individuals, right? 
No, call anytime. Okay, good. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our time with Mike Wood to hearing about consumer debt and it's in a relationship with divorce and these cases we handle, Barry and I, it's clear that there's an overlap of distress and that the legal system of consumer bankruptcy, consumer debt, collection, things like that overlaps with the legal system that Barry and I normally inhabit with divorce, custody, child support. So we're very happy that you could be with us, Mike. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Barry. It's been a pleasure. Then we'll uh, come to the end of this episode 32. I am attorney Kevin Johnson. I'm attorney Barry Boykin. I'm attorney Michael Wood. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you in our next episode.